Our next reading is not a reading from what we call Scripture. I'll be reading uh, from one of the apocryphal books. Now, among Roman Catholics, these apocryphal books, or they would call them deuterocanonicals, are considered part of Scripture. But at the time of the Protestant Reformation, some of these books that became popular after the Hebrew canon had closed uh, were rejected by our Reformer fathers as not necessarily a part of uh, the canon of Scripture. But... Uh, we've ignored them completely since those days for the most part, but the reformers said they still ought to be read for edification and aid because there's, there are worthy things there. So I'm going to read a passage written by Jesus, uh, son of Eleazar, the son of Sirach. The book is called, in some versions of the Apocrypha, Sirach and others, Ecclesiasticus. But given the theme for today's service, I, I thought of this passage. So let us listen to from the 44th chapter of Sirach, the first 15 verses. So let us now give praise to godly men, our ancestors of generations past, those whom the Lord honored with great glory, in whom his greatness has been seen from the beginning of time. There were some who ruled kingdoms and some who were known for their strength. Some were wise advisors, and some spoke prophecies. There were statesmen whose policies governed the people, rulers who issued decrees, scholars who spoke wise words, and those who pointed proverbs, who used pointed proverbs. There were poets and composers of music, rich and powerful men living peacefully at home. All of these were famous in their own times, honored by the people of their day. Some left a reputation, and people still praise them today. There are others who are not remembered as if they had never lived. They died and were forgotten, they and their children after them. But we will praise these godly men whose righteous deeds have never been forgotten. Their reputations will be passed on to their descendants, and this will be their inheritance. Their descendants continue to keep covenant and always will because of what their ancestors did. Their family line will go on forever and their fame will never fade. Their bodies were laid to rest, but their reputations will live forever. Nations will tell of their wisdom and God's people will praise them. Thus ends the reading from Ecclesiasticus this morning. Let us pray. Lord, tell us what we need to hear and show us what we ought to do that we might be your obedient and faithful people. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. This year it falls on May 26. The origins of it go back to the days of the war between the states when especially in the south uh, fallen soldiers were honored by flags and flowers being placed upon their graves. It was called Decoration Day back then. In 1971, it became an official federal holiday to fall on the final Monday of May every year. We know it as Memorial Day. It's not a day that appears on the liturgical calendar that I should address it, but it does, I think, still for many of us occupy a place on our personal cal calendars and on our cultural calendars. And I think it affords us the opportunity at least to think about the subject of heroism. What's the nature of it? What's the need for it? 
And so I ask you, does Memorial Day this year hold any special significance for you? And if it does, why? Frankly, the purpose of this day, the purpose behind this day of remembrance and honor seems to me to be fading, if not forgotten altogether by most of us. Oh, I'm sure tomorrow evening there will probably be an obligatory showing of the president laying a wreath on the tomb of the unknown soldier. But what does it really mean for most Americans and for most of us? Is it simply another paid day off from work? Another running of the Indianapolis 500? Are we more conscious of it because the rates increase if you want to rent a house at the beach? Commercial interests, for reasons I don't understand, other than it's simply another reason to have a sale, have all kinds of Memorial Day sales. You can buy underwear and socks and car provisions in Memorial. I don't know what this does for veterans. Maybe if it were sales only given to veterans, it would make sense. But why do all of us keep this as a part of Memorial Day? So who or what will you be honoring and remembering tomorrow? On a functional or conscious level, who do you regard as your real heroes and heroines Who are those people that are worthy of your honor and your emulation? It's not a trivial question because cultures and nations and clans are often defined by those people they look up to, the people they regard as heroes and heroines. And today the the term is thrown around so loosely, I think that it may have come to mean little, if anything, at all. In fact, I brought with me yesterday's news and record. The uh, banner at the top of the first page, small town hero takes a big leap. So I wondered what that was about. I was going to be about, uh, read about, uh, they said it's an athlete who's coming to play at Duke. Outstanding athlete from Minnesota named Matthew Hurt. So I went to the sports section trying to read with interest what Matthew Hurt had done that was so heroic. And he was a great athlete. That was it. I thought maybe he had saved a child from drowning or done something like that. But no, he was just a great athlete. I don't disparage that at all. But that doesn't necessarily make him a hero. As I understand heroes, not every athlete is heroic. Not every soldier is a hero. Not every president, not every preacher would qualify in the definition of for many of us to be regarded as a hero, as someone worthy of our honor and worthy of our emulation. I think there's a disturbing trend in America today, the seeming absence of true heroes. Where are they? Where are those people who live virtuous and admirable and exemplary and sacrificial lives, all for the benefit of others, not simply for themselves? Who are those men and women who serve as role models for the present and for future generations? Truth be told, heroes and heroines have largely been replaced by a new breed of creature that has been created in our time by the media. When I was in seminary in the late 60s, I read a book that had just been published a few years before that by Daniel Burston, a social historian out of Chicago. The book was entitled The Image, A Guide to Pseudo-Events in America. 
Fascinating book. I found it insightful at the time, but in the years since then, it has come to be prophetic. He talks about how we place an exaggerated emphasis on how much greatness can be found in individuals. Now, I don't agree with him on that, but I do agree with him on something else he said. He adds that we have exchanged the older form of greatness for a new kind of eminence. A new creature has pushed aside heroes and saints and martyrs in our culture. And this creature is known as the celebrity. The celebrity. He writes as follows. The celebrity is a person who is known for his or her well-knownness. Two centuries ago when a great person appeared, people looked for God's purposes in him or her. Today we look for the press agent. And Borson adds later. The household names, the famous men and women who populate our consciousness are, with few exceptions, not heroes at all, but an artificial new product, a product of the graphic revolution in response to our exaggerated expectations. The more readily we make them, the more numerous they become, and the less likely they are to be worthy of our admiration. Ask any young person today who his or her hero is. You might be surprised what they will tell you. As likely as not, it may be some musician or actor or entertainer or athlete whose name you may never have heard of before and whose life is anything but admirable or exemplary. Where are our heroes and heroines? Now, one could argue that the media not only can create this new creature, but the media has the possibility also to destroy our heroes. Everybody's life is an open book this day and the media loves nothing so much as to find something scandalous or uh, immoral that a person has done in their life and expose it. So not only is it harder to find heroes but it's harder to keep heroes today because we all have feet of clay in some way. Every person, every person here probably at some point in your life have done something that was not very heroic, something that violated your own personal beliefs and principles perhaps, but inquiring minds want to know, you know. That's what the supermarket tabloid tells us. And so the American public is all too anxious to find the feet of clay of some hero, especially one who aspires to live above the fog, and yet they have failed. So no, no sooner do we find a hero than we also discover their feet of clay. Maybe it's time for us to refocus or redefine what a hero really is. Popularity, name recognition, press coverage, physical or intellectual gifts don't necessarily make a person heroic. I chose that passage from Ecclesiasticus this morning because it reminds us of how people of faith in ages past, honored their heroes, spoke highly of them. And not just the ones that were known, but the ones that were unknown, whose names were not recorded. Obviously, for our Hebrew ancestors, not all heroes and heroines were known or named. They recognized that, but they were heroes nonetheless, according to Jesus, son of Eleazar. Singer-songwriter Paul Overstreet who happens to be from Mississippi, has written some good country songs. And one of them a few years ago I particularly liked called Heroes. Its lyrics go like this. He drives into the city and works extra hard all day. 
He finishes up early so he can get away. Because there's a blue-eyed kid on second base wants dad to watch him play. And daddy knows he's waiting, so he hurries on the way. Because, you know, heroes come in every shape and size, making special sacrifices for others in their lives. No one gives them medals. The world don't know their name. I know it should be doesn't, but this is a Mississippian, right? Because the world don't know their name. But in someone's eyes, they're heroes just the same. She rocks a crying baby in the hours before dawn. She whispers words of hope to help her husband hold on. She takes time for the children, making sure they know she cares. She's more than just a mama. She's an answer to their prayers. Because, you know, heroes come in every shape and size, making special sacrifices for others in their lives. No one gives them medals. The world don't know their names. But in someone's eyes, they're heroes just the same. Hebrews 11 that Ellie read to us this morning has been called the Hall of Fame for Heroes of Faith. And she read only a portion of this long passage. But if we reflect on the biblical description of some of the heroes and heroines in the kingdom of God, we may just discover some of those traits that would really help us to recognize the truly heroic in others and in ourselves. To begin with, just consider the, the verse that opens that chapter 11. She didn't read it this morning, but you know it well. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. This suggests, does it not, that a heroic faith involves risk and courage. Courage that is based on faith and not on the facts. If the soldier knew that if he crawled out of the foxhole to aid a comrade who had been shot, if he knew for certain that he was safe in doing this, it wouldn't be very heroic to crawl a few feet and drag someone into the foxhole. But if he knew that he could be shot, wounded, or killed, then that risk, that courage, makes his deed heroic. Because risk and courage are implicit in heroism. If Abraham had left Haran with his family and his flocks, if he had knew, known in advance what would wait for him there, the blessings that would come to him and his descendants, the lands that he would own, if he had known that, it wouldn't have been a risk to go, not much of a risk, because he knew what was waiting for him. But you see, his faith, his heroism, came in the fact that he was going to a land as yet unknown and unnamed. He just trusted that God would lead him to where he wanted him to be. If you knew for a fact that if you gave generously to the church, you were going to be rewarded for it. That you were the one that was going to be blessed. That you would be given more wealth to aid more people. There wouldn't be a risk in doing that. But if you're generous simply because you believe it's the right thing to do, whether you benefit from it or not, that could even make your generosity heroic. Heroes act without the assurance or the proof that things are going to turn out for their benefit. Heroism is simply not possible apart from risk and courage. In a second sense, heroes have their eyes on the future. They have a vision that propels them and motivates them. After telling of Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah, the writer of Hebrews says, All of these died in faith without having received the promises. But from a distance they saw and greeted them. These heroes are described as strangers and foreigners 
as aliens and exiles, but their sights were set on God's future. Their sights were not set on their present circumstances and whether their actions or decisions were to benefit them in the present. You might even say that these men and women had an eternal perspective on their lives and on their witness. Many of us believe that this life is largely a testing ground. It's a time of preparation for what will come later at God's own time. And we can go through our 70 years plus or minus, spending all of that time trying to squeeze out of life as much comfort and pleasure and honor and accolades as we can for our own benefit and enjoyment. And if we do that, we are far less likely to live a life that is in any sense heroic. We will be focusing on our needs, our wishes, our desires, and the world about us will be little altered by the lives that we live. We stay safely in the shallows and refuse to risk or to venture out in courage, in vision, and in faith. Thirdly, heroes and heroines are not only courageous, not only people of vision, but they're willing to make costly personal sacrifices in the quest for a greater good or for the glory of God. Heroism isn't cheap. It comes at a price. It isn't easy. Very often, it can cost our lives, our careers, everything we prize in life, or many of the things we prize, and yet heroes and heroines are willing to pay that price because of their commitment to the cause or to the person that they serve. Maybe you saw several years back a PBS presentation on the civil rights movement. It was entitled Eyes on the Prize. I'll never forget it. It chronicled the sacrifices and the struggles and the price that had to be paid by many people in this country for the cause of racial equality and justice. Many of them suffered. Many of them died in that struggle. But some of their names will never be known or remembered. There were people who had courage that risk everything, that we're willing to suffer and sacrifice for the cause of justice, for the good of their neighbor and the glory of their God. The cost was great, but the prize was worth it. And is it not true that whether we're speaking of our faith or our politics or our work or our passions or our goals, if they don't cost us something, they probably are not worth very much to us. Heroes. Do not stop and count the cost if they're committed to a cause or a person or a person. They just act because they know it is right. It is consistent with their understanding of God and God's will for them and others. By the way, if you would mark your calendars for October 23rd, we're going to have a program here. I've invited a, a retired psychologist by the name of Carolyn Crowder that now lives at Montreat. She is to come and do a presentation, a workshop for us. She's making a documentary on Presbyterian ministers, ministers in the South during the civil rights struggle and the sacrifices they made and the risk they took for that, for that cause. We're going to be joined together with other churches, black and white, in our community to, to look at this and to listen to some of these stories. You will know some of these people. Several of them have been related to this church. Vernon Hunter. 
Ed Anderson, John Kirkendall, former president of Davidson College. I know there are a lot of Davidson graduates here. But there are about 11 men that are focused and dealt with in this documentary, one of whom is Dick Harbison, the man that influenced me so much when I was growing up in Mississippi. As Hebrews 11 draws to a close, it speaks of many heroes, many heroines, who paid the price of their faith and obedience. We read this. Others were tortured, refusing to accept release in order to obtain a better resurrection. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and, and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. My friends, don't let this Memorial Day weekend pass without recognizing and remembering and honoring with gratitude our heroes and our heroines. In the military, in history, in the church, in civic life, because apart from them, we would not enjoy the benefits and blessings that we know so freely in our time. And more than that, let each of us resolve afresh to be more heroic in our own living, more courageous, more visionary, more willing to sacrifice for the glory of God and the good of others. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.